Dear Lord Baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call him. Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist palm. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the damn grace. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. Hell, was a hell of a grace, man. You nailed that like a split hog. I appreciate that. I'm not gonna lie to you. It felt good. Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. We're back. Hello. Season two, Only on a Sunday podcast. Never thought there would have been a season one, (laughs) but there was, and now we're in season two, which we're going to take a look at reimagining prayer. But I think we'll get into that a little bit more later. We have just been blown away by season one's popularity. We've had downloads from like 15 different countries. Our last episode that we released was the first week of November. I think it was like November 3rd or something like that. And we still have people downloading episodes. And it's now what, I mean, today's March 7th, you know, this will drop on March 22nd. So it's just, it's just mind blowing. And I think it was a really good topic we had very timely talking about the church and, you know, COVID and how the church needs to change. And, and so I'm hoping that this, this season is the same, right? Like this is a topic that needs to be talked about prayer. So yeah, so we're, we're super, super excited. We've got some unbelievable guests. I mean, if you thought our guests were great, last season no disrespect but the people we have this season are yeah Let's it's just like say yeah. we're continually astounded at how the lord lets these amazing people from season one and season two say sure i'll be on your podcast yeah because <laughs> we ask them thinking there's no way but you don't know unless you ask and then they say yes and dan and i our jaws just drop to the floor like oh my goodness they said yes 
Yeah, and it's not like we're paying them to be on there, you know. No. We'll give you $1,000 if you talk for an hour. It's just out of the goodness of their heart. And so, but I, I really think that goes into the heart and the spirit of the podcast, which is where we're trying to awaken people to what God has in their lives, awaken the gospel, awaken the body of Christ, right? To, to move away from staff-led, clergy-led church to, you know, the people in the pew. So anyway, I'm getting off on my soapbox, so I should probably, I we should probably transition. Or, are we good to transition? Yes. All right. Well, this season is really about two ideas, complementary ideas. The first one is the idea of abiding prayer. And that comes from two invitations that Jesus gives. And the first invitation is, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I mean, all of us have heard that scripture verse countless times. Mm -hmm. We have responded to that scripture verse countless times, whether it was in some sort of um, service, retreat, individual devotional time, prayer time, whatever it was. Yes, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm weary. I'm heavy laden. Give me rest. But then there's a second invitation that Jesus gives later in his ministry, and it's abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit. That's where we're kind of going with in this season. The first five, four episodes of the season is to really talk about what it means to abide in Christ. And I think Ted Wiesty said it best, who we're interviewing next week, is like, everybody wants to abide in Christ. Everybody knows that we should abide in Christ, but nobody knows how to abide in Christ. So So that's, you know, I mean, and, and. I'm not saying that as an expert in like, oh, I've got it figured out and I wrote a book. I've definitely been there. So that's the first part of the season is really taking a look at abiding in Christ and and how do we do it? What does it mean? The second part of the season, episodes five through, I mean, who knows, 12, maybe 10, something like that, is really the outworking of that abiding, mm-hmm. right? If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Yeah. As we abide, we learn who we are in Christ and our authority in Christ and our duty and privilege to bring about the kingdom of God. And and so season two is about walking in that authority in prayer. And what does that look like? And really, the way I describe it is you can't have one without the other. We can't say that we're prayer warriors in our closet, but there's no kingdom advancement happening. Right. Mm -hmm. Nor can we say, look at all the things I'm doing for Jesus, but I have no, you know, abiding prayer in my life. Like they go together. You can't have one without the other. And so these, this is the real, these are the two topics that we're going to delve into in this season. Okay. So one of the things that the listeners would have listened to as we introed this season was the Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby, the legend of Ricky Bobby. Is that what it's called? Talladega Nights, the legend yeah. of Ricky Bobby? Yeah. Now I have seen the movie because I am a sinner. Um, have you seen the movie, Kristen? Yes. Have you really? Yeah. When did you see it? Oh, I don't even remember. Probably in college-ish sometime. Okay, so back in your glory days? Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was 
I don't even remember when it came out, but yeah, it was a while ago. Like I, it's not one of those that I watch over and over. <laughs> it's not. It's a classic. It's Will Ferrell. Um, but as I was conceiving this season, I remembered his prayer that he gave, right? Dear Lord, baby Jesus, which is just the most comical thing ever. And I went back to watch it again. And as I was listening to it, I realized this is everything that prayer is in our modern church world, in our Western Christianity, right? He pretty much outlines it. You know, you and I were talking earlier and I, I said, it's comically unfunny. Yeah. Right? Because it's comical, right? The way he's doing it and Jesus is a cherub and, you know, help us win and do good, you know, all that kind of stuff. It is hilarious, but it's unfunny because it's true. This is the way we pray. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so we thought it would be fun to obviously play a clip. So hope you heard the clip, but then kind of break it down because, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, and so we prayed for every meal. And I think it's just germane to the task when you do it three times a day, every single day of your whole life. It just becomes this rote ritual that maybe you're not really thinking about anymore. Right. So praying over your meal becomes kind of, we thank you for our food and we thank you for our family and bless everyone in the whole wide world. Amen. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's it basically, you know, kind of like a formula. And so even though we're making fun of the movie or we we're joining in the fun of his prayer in the movie, when we look at how he's praying and the order in which he prays, the topics he prays for. And when we were unpacking our experience, especially over the last 15 years of being local pastors, realizing, oh my goodness, we don't know how to pray, really, because that's exactly how I've prayed. And I'm sure, Dan, you've prayed that way as well. So that I know you wanted to talk about the, the, his actual prayer. So, he, you know, he starts out, dear Lord, baby Jesus. <laughs> He's so I'm sorry. I can't stop laughing. This is hilarious. Every we time. Want I thank you for this food, <laughs> this Domino's. My, my say, kids, Walker and Texas Ranger. Come on. Come on. That's classic. Uh, but, but yeah, so when we, when we're praying, a lot of us pray Ricky Bobby prayers, right? Especially middle-class Christianity, we'll call it. We're just talking in our context what we've seen. We pray for our family, we pray for more money, and we pray that we'll be healthy and safe. I remember my family, my growing up years, were full of prayers for a hedge of protection. Oh my God. We put a hedge of protection around you, hedge of protection. And you know what? I don't doubt that there are times that the enemy gets after you in a physical way, especially for our friends who are missionaries in other places in the world where there are different, you know, spiritual things at work, at play. Absolutely. But in our kind of white suburban middle-class context to pray a hedge of protection around you while you go hiking, I mean, I don't know. That just was kind of funny to me. We would pray for parking spots. 
Oh, oh yeah. And if I got the parking spot, Jesus loved me. That's but right. no one said anything when you didn't get the parking he, he spot. He answered right? my prayer. He like, gave so me that parking spot. Yeah, we didn't we didn't he talk about me. how Jesus doesn't love me today because I had to park in the far side of the mall. Um, I think the part of Ricky Bobby's prayer that I, I love, it, it being a pastor, it's like comically unfunny, is they're asking Jesus to bless what they've already decided to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, bless my races and all that kind of stuff. He's not asking, should I be racing or Lord, what's your will? You know, how can I bring about your kingdom? Like he's already decided this Mm -hmm. is what I'm going to do. And will you bless it, Jesus? And I can't tell you how many times as pastor of a local church, I had people come into my office and tell me what they had already decided to do and then ask me to pray for it. Yeah. And I always used to think like, why, why are you here? <laughs> like you've already decided what you're going to do. You know, and they say, you know, pastor, I'd like to come in and get some counseling. You know, I've got this situation and all that kind of stuff. You don't need counseling. You're looking for the priest to bless you. Right. Yeah. And, and well, that's so much of our prayer. Sign off. Right. Like yeah. I remember we would have people come and meet with you. And, and really, I remember coming away from a couple meetings where I was like, wait a minute. They're not asking. They're informing us, or you, you know, as the pastor, they're informing you of their decision, but they're not asking. Yeah, and how much of that is our prayer life with Jesus? We're not asking him. It's not an ask, seek, not kind of thing. We're informing him of what yeah. I what I want. And then most of our intercession uh, life in prayer is simply praying for other people what we want for ourselves. Right. So we pray for them to have a good family, bless their family, to have lots of money or at least a little more than they have. And then we pray for them the same hedge of protection that we prayed for ourselves. So, yeah. uh, And if they don't have one, if they don't know Christ, then Jesus, you know, uh, let them use our hedge of protection because I'm not using it right now. (laughs) Right. Just, 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 you know, when you really sit back to think about the things that we pray about in kind of a logical, biblical kind of manner, you're like, what the heck are we doing? And then there's that part in the Ricky Bobby prayer where they all go around and start talking about the, the kind of Jesus they like. Yeah. Right? Like, I like, the, I like the ninja Jesus. I like the, you know, the party Jesus. Well, I, I like, like the, the think Christmas of Jesus. Because he's soft and cuddly. Yeah, I like the Christmas <laughs> Jesus. And so often when we're praying, we're praying to the, to the God we've created in our own image. Mm-hmm. So when you go back into Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26, 27, 28, it says, mm-hmm. and then God created man in his image. And ever since then, man has been creating God in his image. Yeah. We just got it backwards, right? So when we pray to God, we're praying to the angry God. We're Mm -hmm. praying to the vengeful God to come down on the people who've hurt us. We're praying to the Santa Claus God who, you know, just Mm -hmm. is up there to give us stuff. We're praying to whatever God that we've created. And so that becomes a real problem in prayer, especially when you're looking at Mm -hmm. prayer from the point of view of abiding, which is kind of a love relationship. getting to know him. And, you know, I used to think this, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but I would sit in the pews and, or the, you know, the worship service and hear the pastor preach. And we would always come to that passage where we're supposed to pray without ceasing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that I am not the only one to have ever said this, but like, how in the world am I supposed to pray without ceasing? 
right? Yeah. I, I have a job. I have kids. I have all this kind of stuff, right? Mm. But then even when I tried to pray for like more than 15 minutes or more than five minutes, mm-hmm. I found myself re- repeating the same prayers over and over and over. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for my family, <laughs> for my health and my job. And yeah, Lord, I just want to uh, thank you for the day and yeah. uh, my great, you know, you just kind of keep going back to the same things because the contents of our prayers are very, like, there's not a lot to it. So how in the world are you supposed to pray without ceasing when the content of our prayers are family, money, safety, and bless what I've already decided to do? Right. Yeah. And then maybe I'll throw in like a forsaken country or something in there, <laughs> so it, you know, like, oh, and I pray for Iran. Right. Like, how do you do those types of things? The other thing that I really, really noticed. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was I wanted to say about that. I think we see in those kinds of prayers and, and for me, at least this is personal to me, just feeling so convicted of how much I'm willing to settle for less that i i can say on sunday that i want to see your kingdom come lord but the content of what i'm praying and how i'm praying doesn't reflect that because the kingdom come is radical it's mind blowing it's i cannot control it the power of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus did when he brought heaven to earth, that's not something that can be explained or contained or you won't be able to do it if you have a better degree. That's just pure God. And if I really want to see kingdom come, that I think my prayers will be a lot different. My prayer life will look a lot different. Mm. Yeah, for sure. We have tame prayers, right? And the kingdom is not tame. It's like weak tea. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's <laughs> Another great, sorry, I'm just thinking of another great comedic character that I love, Ted Lasso. Oh, come on. Don't That's even get dirty, it with Ted Lasso. Dirty water. Dirty water. <laughs> tea is dirty water. I don't care how strong it is. It's just dirtier water. Um You know, the other thing that I've always found rather interesting is years ago when I was in graduate school, um, I had to do, I got a degree in um, ancient Near Eastern religions, which I I can't think of a more useless degree. I don't know. I'm I'm sure there maybe are some on on par with that, but it's definitely like... Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing more worthless than an ancient Near Eastern languages <laughs> degree, right? That's but so sad. I was studying Egyptian culture and one of the um, you know, like way back in the day, like back when Egypt, you know, mattered. Mm-hmm. So, uh I remember just studying about how much prayer was a part uh, excuse me, how much magic was a part of their uh religious beliefs, their philosophical beliefs, how it kind of, you know, was in everything that they did. And as I started looking into, like, what's the definition of magic from an academic standpoint? Not from Harry Potter, right? Not from, you know, whatever magic thing, but like the academic definition of magic. I began taking a look at my own prayer life and saying, oh my gosh, when I pray, I'm just practicing magic. It's just Christian magic, so it's okay. So (laughs) here's the academic definition of magic, right? Magic is the application of beliefs 
rituals or actions employed in the belief that they can subdue or manipulate natural or supernatural beings and forces, right? To put that in everyday language, magic is simply doing things in a certain way or with certain objects that will influence the gods on our behalf. Mm. Now, if I take that definition and I insert it into my prayer life over a number of years, and maybe many other people will see this to be true. I just, my prayer life was Christian magic, mm-hmm. right? I'm trying to say the prayer in just the right way at just the right time to influence God to work on my behalf. Yeah. For and sure. sometimes I'll hold, I'll hold a rosary to do that. Sometimes I'll hold my Bible in a particular way, or if I get in a particular position, you know, and we don't really see this in the Western church because, you know, we're just not attuned to this idea of magic, but magic is everywhere. And it's preached from all, you know, every pulpit all over the place. Like it's, it's preached everywhere. There's this book that came out a long time ago called The Circle Maker. And I'm not making an observation against the guy that wrote it or anything like that. But the concept of circle maker, you're just going to go around and you're going to, you know, draw circles around your family or whatever it is. That is what is termed a charm or a spell. Yeah. Right. So That's what, what they do the in magic. Doing? Why were you drawing circles? So the circle, the basic idea, and I mean, I only kind of read it just a little bit. Is it like a hedge of protection? No, it's like wherever you draw a circle, like that's the area of authority that God has. So draw a circle around your home. And sometimes it's, you know, meant literally, like you literally draw a circle. And then other times it's just kind of, I guess, symbolic or metaphoric, right? But it's the idea that um, some sort of charm or spell, if I draw this circle, Mm -hmm. God will work on my behalf. Yeah, right? In whatever way I want. You yeah. had the prayer of Jabez, that book years that and years ago. Huge. I remember just, that. Just my, hugely popular. Book. It was, you know, the whole idea of if you pray this prayer and you know what, to be honest, I should have looked it up because I don't even remember what the prayer of Jabez was, but, <laughs> but it was something along the lines of lots of land and blessing and money. And, you know, the guy, I think he was a pastor who wrote the book, had had that experience. And so the interesting thing is, is I I do believe that the Lord does give people prevailing words versus that kind of guide and direct their life for a season. We've definitely experienced that in our life. And we've prayed through some verses that we felt like that was ours for a season. but to just prescribe it as everybody just pray this thing and you're going to get rich, you know? Well, yeah. So, I mean, the prayer of Jabez is a scripture verse, right? So, so that's, that's actually kind of where, what makes it so dangerous. And so with the prayer of Jabez, the really, the thing that moved it into the magic realm and not the praying scripture realm is because you had to pray it a certain way. Yeah. And you had to pray at certain amount of times Um, during the day or at particular times, right? That is magic, right? right? You say something or you do some sort of ritual over and over and over, and it has to be done just right. And then that will 
move the gods. We also, um, in magic, you also have like powerful objects or powerful spaces, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so in the Christian church, like we have our crosses. I'm not saying that the cross is, you know, magic. I'm saying that at times in prayer, we can treat it in a magical manner. We have candles, right? If we light candles, it makes it more holy yeah. and sanctified. We have incense, you know, depending on what your Christian tradition is. Then we have a thing called incantations, right? Do you want to describe what an incantation is? Well, it's saying the words in the right way. So this always, I know we didn't, we said it's not Harry Potter, but Hermione, remember, it's Leviosa, not Leviosa. So, but, but we do kind of take this I think subconsciously, can we just say that everything we're talking about is totally subconscious? No one we know, no one who loves Jesus is aware of, oh my goodness, this is how I'm praying. I'm doing this on purpose. But I think it just enters into our thinking because of culture and lots of other things, but it's not something that we do consciously. So it's, it's like the power of I am, right? these two little words that will change your life forever. Oh yeah. Joel Osteen's book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I right. am. And you have to say it just right. And it, like in the Ricky Bobby prayer, his wife interrupts him and she, she's like, you better do this grace good so that we will win tomorrow. <laughs> so. Okay. So I am going to just blow every believer out of the water who's listening to this right now. And I am going to include myself in that, in that group. So I'm not talking about anyone but myself. You know, I'm, I'm including us in that. How many times have we asked someone to pray, whether it's Thanksgiving dinner before some Christian event is going to start, and we ask them to pray because they pray real good. Yeah. Right. Or right. we ask, I, I, I mean, for 15 years as a pastor, I never wanted to go anywhere <laughs> or any event yep. because they're always going to ask me to pray. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's out of respect. I understand that. But other times it's like, oh, if you can get the pastor to pray, right? That is an incantation. Right. That is right. the definition. Power. Exactly. He's going to say it just right. Just so right. that the Lord will really bless this overcooked turkey. Yeah. Right. Or whatever it is. Like, we just have no idea how much this idea of magic has interspersed itself into the way we understand prayer and the way that we practice prayer. And when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And then he says, abide in me, right, as I abide in you. He's bringing us or he's wanting to bring us into a place of a greater understanding of what prayer looks like, away from this idea of magic, away from this idea of blessing what we've already done into a new way of engaging with Jesus, right? And this really kind of goes to my story here in the last at least a year uh, since the transition out of our former ministry assignment. I think it was a couple of months after, you know, everything had gone down. 
and I was over at Central Park here in uh, not in New York Central Park, but the Central Park in our little town. Yeah. And I was going for a jog, you know, jog hike. They have some mountains up there. And I had been reading a little bit on prayer and had been listening to some things. And the the prior couple of years before that, I had really been delving into prayer, learning, understanding as much as I could. Well, I'm I'm walking down, I'm on the west side of Central Park, and all of a sudden I had this feeling come over me that I can describe as 50% love and 50% conviction, hmm. right? So, and I just, I literally, I dropped to my knees and I found myself like literally almost weeping, like hmm. almost in the sense of like, I wasn't like, you know, like I can't speak, but I also was like teary, right? Now, You've been married to me for how long now, Kristen? How long have you been married? Too long. Too long, yeah. So at <laughs> least over 10 years, right? How 14, many times? 14, 14 years. 14 years and like 60 million hours. So right. uh, how many times have you seen me like break down in that way? Oh, golly. I think, honestly, it's probably on one hand. Yeah, right? Yeah. That is not my normal way of engaging the world, right? No. But I just dropped to my knees and had this overwhelming conviction in this sense of love that, oh my gosh, I don't know how to pray. Hmm. 15 years of pastoral ministry, senior pastor, right? 10 years of youth ministry, college ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ, 20-something years as a believer in Jesus Christ. And it had come to this part, this point, sitting in the park, right, on my knees, realizing I don't know how to pray. Mm. I did not say that I, it wasn't an idea of like that I haven't prayed. It's that I don't know how to pray. Mm-hmm. And the idea that went through my mind right there, uh, whether you know it was the Holy Spirit or just my grand idea, was when the disciples went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment that my spirit said that, that I uttered it with my words, and I said, Lord, teach me to pray. And I think if you're listening to this podcast right now, I'm just wondering for you, is that the first prayer that God wants you to say right now? Lord, teach me to pray. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my story. Now, I understand in your life, that's also been something that you've been mm-hmm. moving in, in in the whole like understanding prayer. Yeah, I, I don't know that I, I was trying to think of a story and I don't know that I actually have like a ultra dramatic story. I think I for sure just in life in general tended towards wanting to get it just right because I would want, I really wanted the Lord to move on my behalf or I wanted to see things change or I wanted something a lot and I felt like, okay, well, I have to get this just right. But that extended to prayer time, devotions, how I engaged in any aspect of my spiritual life. I have to do it just right. And the 
one of the times, I don't think there was just one, but one of the times that really struck me was I had a, a like an inner healing type prayer, like deliverance prayer with something I had been struggling with for a really long time. And we had asked the Lord to take it away and we had asked the Lord to change it and all these and, and nothing had happened. But I met with a mentor who prayed with me. And the thing that really struck me was it was a very simple everyday prayer. There was no weeping. There was no gnashing of teeth. No sackcloth was torn. She just took authority over this thing and prayed. And that, then that was, that was it. And, and for me, I had grown up very Pentecostal. And so a lot of times, you know, you wind up kind of equating emotion with spirituality, right? So, but I left from that place completely free and unburdened from this thing. And I just thought, oh my gosh, there was no magical formula. There was no verse that she just got just right. And that really made me think that, you know, the Lord must work differently than I think he does. So learning to pursue him authentically, I guess, is the word I would use. Mm -hmm. Because he uses us and our personalities. So the way I pray is going to be totally different than the way you pray. But that's how he uses us, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's just kind of growing in this. I think really the first step is just really saying, I don't know how to pray. I don't understand what's going on here, but I want to learn. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I really think those two invitations of Jesus are a really great way to move forward in this prayer, right? Come to me. You know, when Jesus says this, this idea of come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, right? If you just kind of break it down, right? It's kind of like the come to me is, is, is a redirecting idea, right? You were there, now come to me, right? So yeah. in this phrase, he's redirecting us. And yeah. then he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, right? For those that actually need prayer. So he's redirecting our lives. He's, he's bringing us to this place of acknowledging that, that we do, we are in need of prayer. Mm -hmm. Then he says, and I will give, right? So there's this mm -hmm. grace element. Mm -hmm. You're not bringing anything to the table. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so often I think in our prayers, we're praying as though we're bringing everything to the table. Right. And then he says, and then I will give you rest. There's some sort of life that's flowing. Now, I can tell you right now that if you're praying and there is not life coming from it, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right? and, and, and it's not a matter of you didn't do it long enough. Right. Right. Or you didn't say the right words or you didn't do it, you know, exactly the right way. That's the very problem. And so after I asked the Lord, Lord, teach me to pray, and God just did some amazing things in, in the last year in my own prayer life, I, uh, I can say the same as Tom Ashbrook said in, in our episode with him. I became addicted to praying, mm. right? Because it's like there's so much life there. Mm. 
And let's be honest, with 99.9999s of Christian believers, there's no life there. It's it's because I should. Yeah, that's very true. Right? It's it's because I should. So the very fact that our prayer lives don't have life should be moving us into this idea of like maybe there's more here than I know. Yeah. Well, and I I really have been sitting with the idea that God and his spirit, God and the Holy Spirit are the ones who accomplish anything anyway. And so the more, I know we're going to talk about it later on down, but like the listening type of prayer where I try to sit and listen to what the Lord is saying to me, has kind of flipped the whole thing on its ear for me. Because instead of me trying to get the words just right and using my fancy vocabulary, I'm really listening for, Lord, what is the thing that you want to say to me today? Or even asking him, where do you want me to start with my neighbors and supper club? Where do you want me to start, Lord? Because he will tell you. (laughs) When you sit down and ask, he will say it, right? So I know we're going to talk about the stages of prayer coming up, but that's kind of what it made me think of. Well, if you have the the second invitation, right, uh, that he says is abide in me. Mm-hmm. If you really kind of break this down a little bit, it starts to give us clues into where he's he's moving us, right? Away from this bless me, Jesus, family, work, all this, you know, this your typical Christian prayer. And he's moving us into a different reality of prayer, right? Mm-hmm. So when he says abide in me, right? Notice he's saying in, in the beginning, he said, come to me right? Mm -hmm. So that implies some sort of geographical distance, whether that's a physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, like you are there (laughs) and I am here and there's a distance, right? That's the come to me Jesus prayer, right? But then when we come to him, what he's saying is, now I want you to stay here. Mm -hmm. And so often our prayer lives, is it not? We come to Jesus we get our burdens and, you know, weariness taken care of. And then we go back to wherever that is not with him. Yeah. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. I want to bring you to this place where you don't keep going back and forth. Every time you have a problem, you go up and get prayed for, right? Or every right. time something else comes up, you go on the prayer chain. Let me just yeah. say, if you're, if you're putting things on the prayer chain, like you ain't praying. Right. If it like, I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. If your idea of prayer is like, well, I got to go on Facebook and see how many likes I can get. That's magic. That is not praying. Right. So Mm -hmm. he's bringing, I know I'm in huge trouble, honey. I know. So he's bringing us into this kind of geographical where there is no more me and you. There is now us. Mm -hmm. That's what he's bringing to. Right. Jesus is no longer an object. Mm -hmm. to pray to, right? 
It is a calling to oneness. And this is the content of the rest of Jesus' prayers. I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. So yeah. Jesus is calling us into this oneness. In the Greek Orthodox Church, they have this theological idea called deification, right? Where we are becoming deified or we're becoming divinity in the sense of we're becoming like Jesus, right? We're, we're, we have this union with God. Paul will use the phrase, we are now in Christ. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it talks about how Jesus is doing a work in us that we are becoming partakers of the divine nature. And, and when Peter's talking about that, he's not saying like, you know, the divine nature is like a, an apple tree and you're going to pick the apple and take a bite of it. No, no, no. You're not picking the apple and taking a bite of it. He's turning you into the apple tree. Yeah. Right? Right. And we're entering into this Trinitarian relationship by being in Christ. It allows us this access into this relationship. That's what abiding means. Yeah. That's where it's, it's coming into, uh, where God is taking us. And this, you know, you can see why it's so, so difficult because this isn't like I'm going to get better at prayer. Yeah. This is, oops. There's a whole different way to do prayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, it's a whole. It's a paradigm shift, isn't it? Yeah, like the whole idea of, you know, I should pray more, is not appropriate for this reality. Mm, like that's yeah. not that's not even a question that would come up in that reality, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it's, I think you're right. It's just such a paradigm shift. Like, oh, what Jesus is talking about here and abiding in us and, and abiding prayer has nothing to do with when you and I talk about prayer. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not the same thing, right? No, it's a completely different thing that he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. And when I sat on my knees or I was on my knees in Central Park crying, Lord, teach me to pray. I was coming at it from, as Paul says, that old man, that flesh kind of way of praying. Mm -hmm. And he's transforming the way I, even the way I think about prayer. Mm -hmm. He's doing something else. So I think the last little bit I wanted to talk about was the four stages of prayer, which you brought up mm -hmm. a little bit in your listening prayer. But yeah. um, there's a book that was written. I forget the guy's name. Ted Wiestie will talk about it in the next episode a little bit more. But he gives a very simple understanding of like there are four stages in prayer. Right? If we're going to understand abiding prayer in terms of come to me and the stages into learning to abide in him, there's four of them, right? The first one is talking at God. The second one is talking to God. The third one is listening to God. And the fourth one is being with God. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking at God, we're reading prescribed prayers, right? Yeah. Reciting the Lord's Prayer. Someone else wrote it, and I'm praying it, right? Now, we come from the Pentecostal tradition, and anything that's written and you pray, like, you get kicked out of the building. Like, that's, not, <laughs> that's not how we do things here, right? Like we don't do prescribed prayer. But if you're part of any sort of high church or anything like that, then you have lots of prescribed prayers. If you're part of the Catholic church, then you recite the Lord's Prayer after every anything going on. 
right? But then you come in. Now, th these stages aren't necessarily bad. Like one is awful and four is great. It's right. the progression that we go through that God brings us to yeah. when we say, Lord, teach us to pray. I was going to say, when you were talking about the Lord's Prayer and reciting, you know, there may be a designated time in someone's life where that is absolutely necessary, where you are in a spot. I mean, I've been there myself where I really, I don't have the words myself. And so I've prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, because if Jesus said that's how to pray, I figured, well, since I'm in this season where I don't have the words, where I'm not really able to get there myself, make the connection, whatever it is, whether I'm struggling or whatever the reason is, using the Lord's Prayer and reciting it is actually really super helpful. And I do believe that the Lord uses that as the jumping off point because then the next phase is talking to God. So at first you talk at God. And if anyone knows me, I really hate being talked at. It's really exhausting. I don't think any of us likes it really where you have that a friend or somebody who's just unloading on you and doesn't really need to hear back from you. <laughs> right. That's, that's kind of what we do with the Lord and talking at him. We're just unloading but we don't really need to hear back, right? We're just, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're good with that. But then we get to talking to God and that's intercession. We're reading our Bible. We're journaling, maybe making some prayer requests, maybe taking some prayer requests. And in that phase, I feel like it, it's almost like needs-based. So there's, you're, you're, there's a felt need and you're talking to God about your felt need. And I think in that phase, you could hear back from the Lord in some ways, right? There could be a verse that strikes you. Uh, maybe as you're journaling, a thought comes to your mind and that's really the Lord. But it's still not what we would say abiding. It's still very, very active on our part and not really giving God a chance to acknowledge, answer us back. But then there's this transition before we get to phase three. There's this transition that happens, which phase three is listening. It's, it's listening prayer. So when we look at one and two, talking at God and talking to God, those are very driven by emotion and they're driven by what we know. So I know in my head that I can pray the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus told us to pray this way, right? I know in my head that I'm supposed to intercede, and so I'm going to do that. But then there's a transformation that takes place between talking to God and listening to God, or what we would say listening prayer. And the transformation is moving beyond what our minds can fathom, right? It's moving beyond, well, I learned a whole bunch and it's now we're into, we're living and experiencing it. 
Yeah, that's a big key that that transition from two to three, right? That's the that's the major transition that happens. That's the paradigm shift, you know, that that we were talking about earlier. Stages one and two are are totally necessary in the life of a believer, right? And yeah. you know, stage one is typically like you know your newest of believers. They don't know what to say or what to pray or whatever. So, you know, Lord's prayer. Here we go. Um, stage two. I don't say this to be mean-spirited or judgmental or everything, but 99% of the people in the church pews are in two, right? <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and I'm going to be honest with you, more than 50% of the pastors are in two. Yeah. Right? That's pretty much where Well, and we can say that, or, you know, I was going to say, you can say that. We can say that because we've been there. Yeah. I was in two for the first however many years of my pastoral career. I don't know if you can say that yeah. about a pastoring as a career. I've been to every single convention. I've been to every, you know, pastor's gathering. I've been to all of this stuff. And I can tell you that the majority of our prayers are stage two. Yeah. Right? Well, the, majority, yeah. the whole thing is set up to, well, number one, the value is production. Hmm. So how much you produce, how many events do you host, how many people are, are giving units in your church. And so you're producing, producing, producing. Those are business metrics, by the way. Mm -hmm. That's not kingdom metrics. I figure I should. Well, I think, you know, <laughs> mo most of what's happening in when pastors and, and leaders of churches are getting together is we're really, and I'm saying this as, as like I'm guilty, is we're really being guilty of the Lord bless what we've already decided to do. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So we're coming to him as denominational leaders and, oh man, we pray for like the first five minutes. That's great. But I mean, that's, you're really talking to God, right? So yeah. without, without getting too much on that, it's that it's, it's to say that that transition between two and three is so rare and I mean, it's beautiful, but mm -hmm. it, it is a paradigm shift, right? And you see this most in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, where Paul says, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, right? Mm. One and two are knowledge and emotion, but mm -hmm. Jesus is bringing us to a place that goes beyond knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Now, don't tell that to any good Protestant theologian, Bible-thumping churchgoer, right? Because there's nothing above knowledge. Not even God is above knowledge, right? Like, yeah. But he, he's bringing us to this place that it's surpassing our knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Then he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. Now, I'm going to say this, Kristen. I can think of a lot of things <laughs> to ask Jesus, sure. right? Yeah. I can think of a lot of things. Bring that, it out. Yeah, I can think of a lot of stuff. And if you're listening, you're probably with me on this one. You can think of a lot of things to ask Jesus for. But he is going to do more than we can ask or think. So my brain this is the big problem between, or the big hurdle between two and three is my brain is actually the thing that gets in the way. Yeah. And, and, and until we can transcend that, we will never move from two to three. Yeah. Because when we move into three, we're moving into listening to God. 
right? Taking away a lot of the senses and a lot of the things that we utilize and we're moving into this listening. Now, the other thing that is really, really difficult for moving from two to three is we're typically alone when we're moving this because this type of prayer does not exist in the local church, typically speaking, right? Well, and that's, isn't it because we, that this type of prayer requires a certain amount of stillness I think we're going to get into how you do it mm-hmm. in other episodes because we have practitioners who are really, really experienced and good at this. But when we talk about listening to God, it is centering, silence, listening to your breath. Those kinds of things generally take us modern people a little more time maybe a different environment and they're not necessarily productive. So I think it's in another episode conversation that we have where, you know, elder boards or whatever you call the governing board of your church, they don't really want to pay a pastor to go be silent. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's it's considered waste of time. Yeah, it's just not it's just not part of the I'm trying to think of a different word that other than paradigm, but you know what I mean? It's just not part of the equation. But really when but you But silence start- silence isn't but but it's not just with the elder board and the pastor, right? Like you were a worship leader for how many years, right? And when you're planning a worship service, what is enemy number 1? Silence. Yeah, no <laughs> silence in the service. Like, Don't no. have the awkward silence. We can have no silence, right? Like that's what right. makes what would be called a professional, <laughs> well-done worship Seamless service. Transitions. Seamless transitions, right? Yeah. While the guy's walking out to give the announcements, we have the videos playing, right? When the pastor, you see this all the time, right? The pastor is giving the benediction or, you know, the altar call or something like that. The worship team's coming up, right? And they're getting ready to play and they lay a little pad on there, right? That's are not wanting to have silence. When's the last time you've been in a church and we had silence on purpose? Right. Yeah. It never happens, right? But one of the reasons that moving from two to three is so hard is because most of what you're seeing happening in the local church is come to me ministry. It's not bad. That's not bad, right? Jesus gives us the invitation to come to him and I yeah. will give you rest. And, right. and, you know, you who are weary and heavy laden, that's most of what's happening in your local church ministry, right? But mm-hmm. when Jesus says, abide in me, right, there's no room for that. Yeah. So you kind of, you, you kind of come to this place where you realize that there's more, that Jesus is calling you into more in this prayer life, but where do I go to do that? And so one of the best things you can do in this third stage is listening prayer is to, is to find yourself a guide mentorship or a spiritual director who can help you to learn how to practice silence and mm-hmm. you know centering prayer. Then to help you to move into the fourth stage, which is being with God. Yeah. And in being with God, you're learning how to make stillness a way of life, yeah. regardless of circumstance, right? You're learning how to develop a rule of life. You're learning attentiveness. You're learning about the prayer of examine. You've, mm. you've transcended this. And so when I first came across these four stages of 
prayer, I was like, oh, wow, that, that's, that's number one, so helpful because I can identify where I am in those stages, right? Secondly, it helps me to explain a lot <laughs> of my church experience and why at times I was feeling very, I, I think sometimes people would call it, I just don't feel like I'm being fed. Well, it's because there's no food there for you. Right. But it's, you know, it's super helpful. And then it's helpful to know, like, okay, when I get into stage three, I'm practicing this silence. Like, what the heck is that? And I'm such a doer and a goer and I want to make things happen. Like, silence has been so difficult for me. Just, yeah. you know, spending 10 minutes in silence and, and then, you know, having four kids, it doesn't make it <laughs> yeah. any, any easier. We're going to use silence with a broad definition. <laughs> yeah, right? Silence in, in the heart. And, and I like what Tom Ashbrook, the way he put it is like, you know, God doesn't speak Hebrew or Greek or, you know, English. I know that's hard for us Americans, you know, that Jesus didn't speak English or, you know, German or any other language that God speaks a spiritual language, right? You and I would understand that spiritual language as silence. Yeah. That there is actually a language that's happening in those times of silence. So, um, yeah, so we have, unless you got anything else, babe, we have got some unbelievable guests that are going to be talking yeah. about these kinds of ideas. Yeah. We have Ted Wiesty, who's the director of the founder of the Arizona Spiritual Formation Society. Tom Ashbrook, who's the leader of Imago Christi. We have the Spiritual Formation Society based out of Colorado. We have Dr. Jude Terzma Watson, who's a professor at Fuller, talking to us about the rule of life. When we move into those activating prayer, you know, as we're talking about like advancing prayer, the kingdom prayer, we have the Hulagals, Krishani and, and yeah. Sureka, the four square leaders of Great Britain. We have Eric Hesse from Berlin, right? Talking to us about the Berlin prayer experiment. That's just like, this is my favorite ever. I can't so wait exciting. for you guys to yeah. listen to that. We have Anne Deliser from Fafalda Brennan in Wales, UK. She actually did the podcast recording, A Stone's Throw from the White Horse Inn, for those of you C.S. Lewis and <laughs> Tolkien fans out there. So she's fabulous. She's the director of the Local Houses of Prayer Movement around the world. And we've got other wonderful, wonderful guests. And uh, I am really excited for people to engage in the content and really see God's people begin to move into stages three and four of prayer. Well, can, can I just talk a little about why it's so exciting? Yeah. I mean, it's your podcast, Kristen. So you can... <laughs> Your name's well, on it. <laughs> <laughs> we're wrapping it up. So I promise this episode is finished. But the reason that I like to think about why this is so exciting to move into a being with God and an abiding with God is that that is really the first step to seeing the kingdom come here on earth and seeing things actually change. I heard someone comment this last week that has really stuck with me. And that is we have a lot of folks, friends, whatever, that talk about our church is healthy, right? Like when you look at a church, oh, yeah, yeah, we that's a healthy church. And there's different metrics we use. But this gentleman I was listening to said, if your city 
hasn't been transformed, is your church really that healthy? And for me, that's the heart of all of this and why we're sharing this podcast is because we really want to see lives transformed. We want to see cities transformed. We want to see broken places restored and the rough places made smooth. And we want to see it here and now and not be where I am not satisfied with the kind of day-to-day regular Christianity that I've lived for so long, I'm, I'm just not satisfied with that anymore. So this kind of prayer is really the undergirding for that kind of gospel movement. Yeah. Amen. It doesn't happen in stages one and two. No. Right? Yeah. It's when you get no. to three and four. And and that's not on a church wide, you know, you're, when your church gets to stage three and four, that's a you thing. Yeah. That's a me thing. When we as individuals begin to engage stages three and four in prayer, that's when God transforms us and we become kingdom agents. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. we become we become part of gospel movements. Up until that point, to a large degree, we're spectators. Yeah. You know, we're 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 kind of watching other people do it. And that's really the heart of only on a Sunday and just our ministry in general is to awaken believers. Yeah. To absolutely. really awaken believers. So well, with that being said. We want to thank you for joining us on this introductory episode of Only on a Sunday, Season 2, Dear Lord, Baby Jesus, Reimagining Prayer. Next time, we have the opportunity to interview Ted Wiesty. He is the founder and director of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona and assistant director of spiritual formation at Phoenix Seminary. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to check out what we're doing at the LowrysOnMission.org or on Facebook at the Lowry's on Mission. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.